Welcome to Rise, Healing from Childhood Sexual Abuse Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Heil, registered psychologist and DBT certified clinician. I am also a childhood sexual abuse survivor. In this podcast, I will offer information about childhood sexual abuse in order to provide you with knowledge on this difficult topic, as well as provide you with strategies and tips that you can access now in order to begin moving from surviving to thriving. Welcome to my first episode. This is so exciting for me. This is a project that is really near and dear to my heart. And I feel like I have a lot of information that I'm able to share with you, both from a personal perspective of being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, but then also from a professional perspective, being a psychologist who also treats people who have suffered from the after effects of childhood sexual abuse. So I hope this is helpful to you. I hope that you're going to come out of this podcast with more information and feel supported and validated and heard and seen. That's really my hope for you. For today, I thought I would start at the basics of discussing what exactly is childhood sexual abuse. And the reason why I wanted to start with this subject is because I noticed that in my therapy sessions with people who have gone through childhood sexual abuse, it is super common for people to say to me, oh, like the thing I went through, that that wasn't abuse, or it wasn't severe enough. I wasn't, you know, I must not be traumatized enough because the thing that happened wasn't, you know, it wasn't penetrative abuse. It was, I wasn't raped, things like that. And I really hope that the take-home point you are going to receive in this episode today is that any type of childhood sexual abuse is still abuse. And it can be extremely damaging. Whether the abuse that occurs is what we consider exposure abuse, meaning that a child was simply exposed to things that they really shouldn't have seen, and then all the way down to the other side of the spectrum, which includes uh, full-out rape, anything on that spectrum is considered abuse and it can be extremely damaging and traumatic for a person who has suffered from that type of abuse. So let's start by going through the four types of abuse that somebody can experience during childhood when it comes to sexual abuse. The first type is exposure abuse and this can include things like exposure of genitals to a child So an adult or an older child exposing their genitals to a child in a way that is just simply inappropriate, um, that can be something that is uh, lingering. It can linger for a child who's just in their memories for a long period after that and can really change and damage the way that a child thinks about the world and other people and potentially even themselves. So that is a type of abuse that can occur. Uh, Along with that, exposure abuse can include viewing the child's genitals in a way that is inappropriate. Exposure abuse can also include taking pictures of the child's genitals for the purposes of pornography or, you know, a person's own personal collection. It's it's so gross to say that, but that is, you know, obviously there's people that do that and, and that would be considered a type of exposure abuse. Exposure abuse includes exposing a child to pornography, using a child in pornography, obviously, uh, would be a type of exposure abuse, and um, also masturbating in front of a child. 
and also talking to or teasing a child in a sexual way. Okay, so any of those things I just mentioned are considered abuse and they can have long lasting impacts on a child. If you're listening to this and you have experienced any of those things, then just please feel validated in knowing that that is actually a form of abuse. That is something that uh, can be um, can be very damaging to experience. Moving along that spectrum, the next category of abuse is non-genital touching. This can include kissing a child in a sexual way, running a uh, your hands or a, a body part, uh, someone's hands uh, on a child in a, a way that's sexualized. So it's like rubbing of the thighs or the stomach or like even the small of the back in a way that the child just feels very uncomfortable with is sort of sexualized. That would be considered a form of abuse or could be considered a form of abuse. And then touching the child's body and saying things that are sexual in nature, like just giving that, that messaging, that implied messaging of something sexual would also be considered a type of abuse. Moving further along the spectrum, then genital contact is the next type of abuse. And this includes touching a child's genitals with a body part or an object, telling the child to touch someone else's genitals, masturbating against a child, performing oral sex on the child, and having the child put their mouth on the genitals of the abuser. It's hard to talk about these things, obviously. I can imagine a lot of you who are listening right now are uh, also feeling probably the way I am as I speak about this. Uh, and I feel like this messaging is really, really important to get out into the world because this stuff is happening. And it's important for us to have a definition of all the types of abuse that can occur, the whole spectrum, so that we know what to watch out for if a child is being abused. But also, again, back to ourselves, those of us who are survivors, we need to be able to validate ourselves that what we have gone through was indeed a form of abuse. And to be able to acknowledge that really helps us feel just more sound in understanding why perhaps our mental health has been impacted in the way that it has and why we are still struggling with the symptoms that we might still be struggling with all these years later. So bear with me as I know this is a difficult topic to talk about. The last type of abuse is penetrative abuse. This is penetration of the child's um, vagina, anus, mouth, by a penis, a finger, a tongue, or an object. So tough things, again, to talk about, and these are the types of things that can happen, and so important for us to be able to put words on, on what abuse actually is. Okay, so that's, that's tough, and um, there's the information, though, for you to have. I'm going to move now into talking about the statistics of sexual abuse so that we're all just well aware of what this can look like and why, um, not why, I guess, just what this can look like and understanding the gravity and the extent that abuse can occur. Because the more of us that know that this is occurring, even current day, I think that's an important message to give is that this, you know, some of us think that sexual abuse is something that happened in the past and, you know, maybe it's not happening to people in the um, 
I don't know, the incidence rates that it used to be. Um, I, I can't speak to that. I don't necessarily know whether it is decreasing or increasing. But what I can tell you absolutely is that our statistics are indicating that it is still very prevalent. And therefore, we need to keep on talking, talking about the subject. Uh, so I am Canadian. And so oftentimes, I'm going to be quoting Canadian statistics, not always, but often. So just um, for anybody who's listening from a different country, bear with me. Statistics Canada stated in 2018 that 27% of Canadians reported experiencing physical or sexual abuse in their lifetime. 27%. That is a big number. We do know that overall, the number of incidents involving some sort of online activity and childhood sexual abuse is escalating. We are seeing this increasing significantly. When we look at online activity with childhood sexual abuse, we are seeing that luring a child accounted for a large majority of the online sexual offenses. So this was in the, the one study that I'm looking at, which I'll put the link in the show notes. 77% of exploitation online was considered luring. 11% was non-consensual distribution of images, inappropriate images of children. 8% were invitations to, for sexual touching of a child or invitations to touch a perpetrator in a sexual way and 5% were other online sexual offenses. So really, really big numbers there. And scary to think about, right, that this stuff is happening right under our noses. I don't know who are my listeners might be in this moment, but I will share with you that I am a mother of two young girls. I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. And this is really scary when I think about this, just the possibilities of abuse that can occur just from simply going on the internet. It's really a terrifying thing to me. And I, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. And, you know, as most parents do, I'm sure, you know, I'm not alone in kind of waffling back and forth about like, oh, I don't want my kids to be missing out on having, you know, these different activities that their friends might be involved with different social media when they get to that age. Uh, but also wanting to keep them safe. And so I, I tend to be on the more conservative side when it comes to allowing them on the internet because of the things I've seen treating a lot of people who have gone through internet exploitation and just seeing the impact that that has on them years later. So ugh, it's a hard thing. Uh, anyway, but continuing, let's see. When it comes to, so still talking about online activities, 73% um, of victims were identified um, as in online offenses as being children that were girls aged 12 to 17, and 13% were girls under 12. Oh my god. Ugh. And then boys aged 12 to 17 accounted for 11% of victims, and the remaining 3% were boys under 12. So it is impacting all genders. And I don't have any information in this particular study about gender diverse individuals, uh, but obviously I'm, I'm sure that that's impacting them as well. Um, but these are big numbers, right? And it's, it's scary to think that it's impacting all genders and all ages, lots and lots of stuff going on online. So 
do think about that when it comes to letting your kids go on the internet and, and just find ways to keep them safe. There's lots of different online safety courses that you can take um, that are probably in your area. So do just explore that if you are at the point of allowing your child to have a little bit more autonomy on the internet. Um, okay, so going a bit broader, back to statistics of childhood sexual abuse in general, we know that, um, so a different study, which is going to contradict a bit of that 27% um, that I gave you a little earlier when it comes to Canadians who have reported childhood um, physical or sexual abuse. Another study says that one in three girls, so a little bit higher of a percentage there, and one in six boys experience childhood sexual abuse that involves at least one of the four types of abuse. So obviously different research is going to give a little bit of a different number, but that's more or less still in the same ballpark. So I'm gonna repeat that because that's a big number to consider. One in three girls have either experienced exposure that was inappropriate, non-genital touching, genital contact or penetrative abuse, and one in six boys have also experienced that. One in six girls and one in 12 boys have experienced some type of sexual abuse that involves genital contact or penetrative abuse. Okay, so of all that spectrum that includes all those different types of abuse, one in six and one in 12 have had types of abuse that are on that more severe side of the spectrum. I want you to imagine the people in your life. You know, I'm sure you know well more than 12 people, right? So imagine if you had a, a room of 12 people two of those girls or two of the girls in that room and one of the boys, males, females, right? Men, women, whatever you want to think about it as um, individuals, right? They will have experienced some sort of abuse. Shocking, right? It absolutely shocks me when I think about this. Of people who've experienced childhood sexual abuse, 93% know the perpetrator. When we think about childhood sexual abuse, this whole idea of stranger danger, that is a myth. That is not generally the case. Most of the time, if someone's going to be abused, they're going to be abused by somebody that they know. That could be a family member. That could be a family friend. It could be a coach. It could be a teacher. It could be an acquaintance. We never know. You can't look at a person and know whether or not they're capable of abusing a child. And I, I want you to keep that in mind. So again, for any parents who are listening in right now to just kind of get a, a sense of what they need to look out for to be able to maybe hopefully prevent their children from experiencing sexual abuse, please keep that in mind that sometimes it's the people that we would least expect to be capable of abuse who are the perpetrators, right? So you never know who's going to be capable of doing this type of thing to a person. Oh, okay, so that was really um, dark, <laughs> right? That's a, a dark episode to start with. Really hard to talk about that information and I'm sure that it's hard to hear it. 
So please do take care of yourself after listening to this today. Next episode, I am going to share my own story as well as bring in some hope to this podcast. I would like to shed some light on how I overcame my own struggles associated with having been abused. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode helpful, please go ahead and leave me a review. And you can also subscribe to the show so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. For more information about me, you can check out my website, risefromcsa.ca, where you will find resources on childhood sexual abuse, as well as a link to Inner Solutions, which is my private practice located in Calgary, Alberta.